Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Gary Bowman for today's message. Oh, he is good. He is worthy of our worship. Well, we're going to keep worshiping. That's what we do when we listen to him, when we listen and obey. And we're going to open our Bibles to um, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, page um, 968 in the Bible that's uh, in the rack in front of you if you you forgot yours or left you home. I encourage you to get your Bible out or on your phone and pull out your message outline if you want um, as we work through this this passage together. So if if you have had any exposure to the Bible... One of the things that you would tell me about the Bible, if I said, um, hey, this is your first time in church, um, have you looked at the Bible? Yeah, I looked through it one time. One of the things you would tell me, and that would be true, is that the Bible is full of rules and regulations, right? 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 Oh, hey, we're awake. All right, all right. It's okay to interact here a little bit. I need it, okay? So... Okay, so let's start over. So, if this is your first time in church, I say, hey, you looked at the Bible. You know what? The Bible is full of rules and regulations, right? right. Oh, oh, man, that is awesome. Yeah, that is good. And it really is. There's, there's a bunch of do's and heaven forbid that you do that and prohibitions and commandments. I mean, it's just chock full. But if you know your Bible a little bit too, and if you've been hanging around Paseo del Rey at all, You also know, don't you, that the Bible is chocked full of the grace of Jesus Christ, right? Right. Yeah. Now, that creates a little bit of a tension, doesn't it? Because the Bible, almost anyone that's even held a Bible in their hands, knows that it's, it's, it's it's a book that has a lot of rules and regulations, but hopefully we come to understand, too, that it's a book that's all about the grace of Jesus Christ. And so there's this tension for the believer in Jesus Christ, right? What do I do with all those rules and regulations? Because the last time I checked, and I don't read in the Old Testament very often, but I read a lot in the Old Testament, they're still there, right? And so what do we do with them? And, and I, this is what surprises me. There's a bunch of rules and regulations in the New Testament too, I just thought rules and regulations were just Old Testament stuff, and that would have made it easier just to kind of throw it out, right? But they permeate the whole Bible. So what we're going to talk about today, because Jesus talks about it, is as a follower of Jesus Christ, do I still need to follow the rules and regulations of the Bible? That's the question. Here's the tweet size. Um, If I'm a follower, do I have to obey Jesus? Well, wait a minute. Bunch of rules and regulations, and yet grace. See, you, you, you see the tension here, don't you? And you know what my answer is going to be at the end of the day is yes, but how do we get there, right? And Jesus helps us to get there. Matthew chapter 5, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, that's where we're studying together for a couple of months, verse 17. Do you, he says, do not think, Jesus is our speaker, that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Law, prophets, that's shorthand for Bible. So when you see the word law or prophets, 
And when Jesus uses it and when Jews used it, it was, that's, that's what the Bible is. It's shorthand for the Bible. And, um, uh, and, and the Bible for Jesus was um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. No, what was it? What do we call it? The Old Testament, we call it, right? They didn't call it the Old Testament, Jesus' day. They called it Bible, right? Uh, Genesis to the Italian prophet, Malachi, or some of you call him Malachi, some of you Hebrews, but uh, the, the Italians in the group call him Malachi, right? Yeah, all right. Um, that was Jesus' Bible. And so what he's saying here, what he's saying here. Is, is don't think that I've come to abolish the Bible. I have not come to abolish the Bible, the law, and the prophets, but instead I've come to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and he teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, are you guys ready? Got your seatbelts on? You will not, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa. Let's, let's skip to the next passage, okay? It's a lot easier to understand, right? This is one of the most difficult passages in the Bible. And what I hope to do today is I hope to unpack it and, and unpack it, unfold it in such a way that we begin to get a grip on what Jesus is saying here to us about followers of Jesus and the Bible and our obedience to the Bible. So we're going to look at three different things. We're going to look first at Jesus and the Bible, Jesus and the Bible. So the way that Jesus begins this section of the sermon in verse 17, he begins it in an interesting way. He begins it with a negative. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. Instead, I've come to fulfill them. Now, probably the reason he started off with that negative is because there were some people in his culture who thought Jesus was, had a low view of the Bible, some people in Jesus' day apparently thought that he wanted to throw out the Bible. Now, why in the world would that be? Well, um, in Luke's gospel, the Sermon on the Mount comes a little later chronologically. And what's come just before the Sermon on the Mount in Luke's gospel is um, a, a, a Sabbath day controversy. One of the commandments, of course, uh, in, from the book of um, uh, Exodus, Exodus chapter 20, one of the commandments is that we are to uh, keep the Sabbath holy, we're to rest on the Sabbath, we're to do no work on the Sabbath, right? Well, Jesus went into the synagogue on a Sabbath, and there was a man with a shriveled up hand. Now, Jesus knew what the Pharisees were looking at, and they, they, they watched him as he went up to this man with a shriveled hand. And for the Pharisees to do doctoring, to do healing, was work, and so they were kind of trying to catch Jesus here. So what does Jesus do? He goes up to this man. He knew what the Pharisees were thinking, and he healed the man. He, he healed up his shriveled hand. And they, they, they were all over Jesus because, Jesus, don't you know you're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath? Um, another time he went into the, uh, uh, his followers were in the fields 
on a, on a Sabbath day, they were hungry, so they grabbed some grain, which constituted, according to the Pharisees, work, right? Orthodox Jews today can't push a button on the elevator on the Sabbath because that's work. They can't pick up the telephone, Orthodox Jews today, because that's work. And so um, uh, the Pharisees saw Jesus violating the commandments of God. And so Jesus, right from the get-go in this section of the sermon, says, hey, hey, I, I want you to know, uh, some of you think I have a very low view of the Bible. Jesus, I've got a high view of the Bible. Let me, let me tell you, I've got a higher view of the Bible than any of you Pharisees or teachers of the law. I've got this higher view of the Bible, and not only higher, but deeper view of God's command. It's both higher and deeper. That, that's, what they were experts was taking God's law and spreading it out very, very thin and legislating on every little thing. But Jesus said, listen, I've got a higher view and a deeper view of what the Bible says for believers to follow. Um, in fact, what, what does he say there in verse, um, um, in verse 18? For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will disappear. So if Jesus were here today, what he would say is, uh, hey, I want you to know, I have such a high view of the Bible that not every jot and tittle, the, the, little, the little dot on the top of the eye, that is so important. The, the, the comma, that's so important. The period, the, the smallest parts of the, of the lettering that we use. He says, none of that will go away. You, you, you guys think you have a high view of the Bible? I, I've got a higher view and a deeper view of the Bible. I, 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 didn't come to, I didn't come to abolish the law, verse 17. I came to fulfill the law. And, 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 and he, said, he says, I, I came to fulfill um, uh, Everything in the scriptures, none of it will be abolished. He says, it's it, the whole Bible, the whole enchilada. And I don't know if you have seen the enchilada of the Bible, but it's overflowing, right? It's like a Lolita's uh, burrito, right? That's why you go to Lolita's after church. I see you there. Because you want to get a California burrito, which is not Mexican at all, right? I mean, that is like anti-Mexican. That's, that's why they call it a California burrito. And it's just kind of overflowing. Don't let your cardiologist see you unless he's there. If he's there, you can be seen there. But, but, but it's overflowing. And you, you know, just the first five books of the Bible, of Jesus' Bible and our Bible, you know how many commandments and prohibitions are just in the first five books of the, of the Old Testament? 613. 613. And the Pharisees were experts at this. They were they were, they were rule-obsessed, and, and, and I'm going to say this a couple of times today, but Jesus said every one of those 613 just in the first five books of the Bible, Jesus, I've got a higher view of them. They're, they're not a jot or tittle, not a period or a comma or the dot over the eye or the cross or the T will disappear, and I've got a much deeper understanding, a much deeper understanding of those commandments. I came not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then he clobbers us, he clobbers us even more in verse 19, verse 19. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We have a group of sometimes four or sometimes six, seven, eight uh, men and women who get, uh, get together Saturday mornings at 6.30. We call it Sermon Shaper. We talk about the message a couple of weeks, the text we're going to look at. 
And one of the brothers, a couple of weeks ago, when we were looking at this passage, and when we read this, verse 19, therefore anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And he looked right at me. He said, Gary, that is a solemn charge to you. If you play around with the text, if you pick and choose the text, if you water the text down, if instead of saying what Jesus says, you say things that make people's ears tickled, he says, Gary, therefore anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others according will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And not only for me as your pastor, but for every Sunday school teacher at Paseo del Rey and our youth leaders at Paseo del Rey and those who lead our 18 to 25 group and those who who lead exploring Christianity and those who lead our growth groups and those who lead perspectives and every parent at Paseo del Rey and every grandparent at Paseo del Rey and every friend that if we, if we pick and choose the commandments that we like and we leave the more difficult ones behind, there is this grave danger ahead, right? And what is the grave danger? That you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. All, most of us have been to a wedding uh, time or two, and when you go to a wedding, one of the first things that I do is I want to find out where I'm going to be seated during the dinner. Because I want to be close to the food table. Right? I mean, you know, let's be honest, right? If you're having chips and salsa, I want to be seated right there, right? So what do you do when you get to a wedding? You go and they, they have a board, right? And it has the names of where everybody's seated. That's one of the hardest things in the world to do when you're planning a wedding, right? I take my own Sharpie. Because there's two things. You want to know where you're seated, and what's the other thing you want to know? Who you're seated with, right? I've crossed people's names off at my table. I don't want to say that. I, put, I write in Brian and Danae at our table. I put their names back somewhere else. The, the other people. They don't go to this church anymore. <laughs> but I've seen other people with a big, thick marker crossing my name out several times too, right? Even more so. But you, 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 you see what Jesus is saying here? For truly I tell you, um, or verse 19, therefore anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly, they're, they're going to be way, 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 way away from the food table, from Jesus. But, now here's the good news, right? What does he say? But, um, verse 19, um, but, Whoever practices and teaches these commandments. Now, which, what commandments is he talking about? He's talking about at least the 613 in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, first five books of the Bible. But, but I got a little surprise for you in a minute. There's more commands than that in the Bible. Oh, Gary, I, th I could do 613, but I don't know if I could do all the rest. No, 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 no. You, you can't do any of them, let me tell you, by the way. But you can't. Let me say that. You can't do any of them, but you can do all of them. 
by the power of the risen Jesus living inside of you. That's the, that's the yes answer, right? You can't do it on your own, but it's the risen Christ living in you through his Holy Spirit that you can obey his command. That's the only way it's going to happen in your life or in my life or anybody's life. Okay, so he says, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called the greatest in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven. They're going to be right up there at the very, right at the, they're going to have the chip, they're going to sit at the chip table, right? They're going to be right there with Jesus the whole time, right? Um, I, I just so appreciated, our, I have appreciated our elders this morning, Doug, um, praying uh, uh, with our congregation, and I know you're praying as we make this transition into the future, into what God has now for us, because we're not on hold, man. We're, we are not on hold. What God has for us right now and what God has in the future for Paseo del Rey. And as I've been studying this passage the last couple of weeks, as I've been praying about, as I've been praying for your new lead pastor, I've been praying that he will be a man who eventually will be called the, among the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because he practices and teaches all of these commands. That's the kind of pastor we want, right? That's the kind of pastor our elders want. That's the kind of pastor our search team wants. That's the kind of pastor you want. Be praying with us. Be praying with our elders. Be praying for our search team. Be praying as a family. Be, be pray, pray in your growth groups together, in your Bible studies together, that Jesus would bring us a man who teaches and obeys by the power of God who practices and teaches these commandments. That's the kind of pastor we want because it's the word that's going to change our lives, right? So be praying that way with us. And I just want to say something else too. Uh, when that new pastor comes, um, he is, this is going to come as a real revelation. He's going to be different than me, <laughs> right? right? You know, and that's easy to say, but it's a little harder to figure out and to, what do I do with that? But he is really going to be different than me. And for some of you, when he comes, you are going to go. And, and when he, he leads and he counsels you and he leads our elder team and it gives new vision at Paseo del Rey and as he counsels you and as he prays with you and he's with you and as he preaches, some of you are going to go, man, this guy is like the second greatest preacher in the world. <laughs> right after Jesus. Right after Jesus. Some of you are going to say that. And you're going to go like, where has this guy been the last 38 years, right? Now, some of you are going to feel that way. And I'm going to rejoice in that. Just as long as you don't tell me that every time I see you. <laughs> this guy, Gary, you've got to learn to preach from this guy, right? But I hope that's what many of you say. I really do. I'm going to celebrate. I hope you also say, but we miss you too. I hope you say that too, right? That's human, right? But I hope that's what you say. But others of you are going to go, eh, I don't like the way he doesn't know my name. He doesn't know my, kid. he doesn't know my mother's name or my kid's name. Pastor Gary always knew that. Or, guy, the way he runs meetings is really different than the way Pastor Gary used to run a meeting. Or the way he does growth groups is really different. Or the way he preaches is really different. And you know what? Remember the revelation you just had a couple of minutes ago? He's going to be different than me. And we need to pray for each other that we'll have grace to encourage and to love on him and his, if, his wife and if he has children and, to, and to, to recognize that 
God has a new season for Paseo del Rey. Amen? He has a new season for... There is no change for change's sake in this. Let me just be blunt with you. It wasn't like, well, let's make a change for change's sake. We really believe that God has a new season for Paseo del Rey. And he has a new lead pastor. He, God already knows who the guy is. Isn't that cool? We just want to align ourselves with what God already wants. So as he comes, man, just be praying for yourself. Be praying for other people. How do we love him and encourage him? Even when he is very different than your pastor from the last 38 years. He better be, or I just elect April right now as the, the new pastor of Paseo del Rey Church. Yeah. <laughs> right now, honey, just start today. Here you go, babe. Come on. <laughs> Anybody? Oh, I have lunch here at church today. Thank the Lord for our new friend's lunch. Okay. So let's go back to our text. But I, th- but I, want, to, I want to say that. I want you to be praying for that, that, that new lead pastor as well. Okay, so now, now how does Jesus, look at verse 17. Don't think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I've come, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So how does Jesus fulfill the Bible? And particularly, remember, we're talking about Old Testament. We're talking about those Pentateuch, uh, the Torah, first five books of the Bible, those 613 commands, but all the other commands too. How does Jesus fulfill those? Well, I'm going to tell you three ways, and there's more, but I want to just tell you three ways. One of the ways he fulfills the, the, um, all of the commandments is he, he fulfills the prophetic uh, pro- the prophecies about him. The Old Testament has... Um, has um, a lot of what we call predictive prophecies about the coming Messiah. And Jesus fulfills the law many times by perfectly fulfilling those prophecies laid out in the Old Testament. Some scholars tell us that there's over, uh, 300, and over, over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that were fulfilled by Christ. Because the Old Testament's pointing to him, it's making these prophecies about him, and Jesus' life fulfills them. And already in Matthew's gospel, we're in chapter 5 now, already in Matthew's gospel, there have been four times where the, Matthew has said, this was to fulfill what was written by the prophet. Four times already, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. And there's 12 more in the gospel of Matthew. So this theme of Jesus being the one who fulfills the prophecies, that's one of the ways that he fulfills the law for us, fulfills the whole Bible. Now here's a second way, and this is, um, I, I told you, this is a very difficult passage, and, 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 and I, I don't have the time to spend on this. This is a whole class at seminary, but uh, let me just tell you in three or four minutes here, another way that Jesus fulfills the law is that he has completed some portions of the law. Now, now, how does that work, Gary? Well, Jesus, in some ways, as he perfectly fulfills the law, he completes the law. That his doing of something, his doing and keeping the law is so far superior to what anyone else has ever done that it has brought an end to that part of the commandment. Not that it's no, no longer there, but that it doesn't need to be fulfilled by other people again. Well, Gary, give me an example of that, because that sounds kind of weird. Well, the whole book of Hebrews is about how Jesus is the better 
and complete and final keeper, keeper um, of the sacrificial system. I don't know if you've noticed around Paseo del Rey, but we haven't had a bloody sacrifice in quite a while here. And that's in the 613 commands, right? It's all over Leviticus. And we're taking a group to Israel in April. 18 of us are going to Israel. And we're going to go right near where the temple uh, was. And there are going to be there are going to be no bulls whatsoever sacrificed when we're in Jerusalem. And I don't know, there might be some weird place somewhere around the world, but there, I don't know of any place where Jews gather who say they keep the commandments, the 613 commandments, who are making bloody sacrifices, pigeons or lambs or goats or, or birds or doves or whatever it is. Uh, nobody is doing that. Now, why is that for us? Why aren't we Christians, besides our custodians would be very upset with us, why are we not doing bloody sacrifices? Because it's in the commandments, right? Well, the book of Hebrews in chapter 10 in particular, if you just go home and read chapter 10, you'll get a little bit of a glimpse of this, where the writer of Hebrews helps us understand that Jesus has fulfilled all of the laws and regulations about bloody sacrifice, and he was such a a, a, a far superior and perfect sacrifice that no more sacrifices are needed. That all of, the, all of the, the laws and rules and regulations that pointed to this sacrificial system have now been, let me use this word, completed or fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So there are some parts of the law that Jesus fulfilled. Another part of the law that Jesus fulfilled are, are the food laws. The food laws. Um, I had... Uh, I'm sorry to say this. I had bacon last week. And now I need to confess that as a sin to you because in those 613 laws, it says you shouldn't eat uh, bacon. It doesn't say bacon, but uh, what comes from a pig, right? Um, so you can't have ham for, th for uh, Easter this year again. Sorry about that. Now, <laughs> thank you. Did someone say thank you? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So honey baked ham's just going out of business, right? We're going to go down and and uh, walk around it and picket it, right? Well, why is it that we can eat, eat bacon with a somewhat clear conscience, <laughs> right? I mean, not with your cardiologist, but before God, you can have an absolutely clear conscience. Why is that? Because Jesus in Mark chapter 10 and in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 15, uh, Jesus brought an end to the food laws. He says it's not what goes into a person's mouth that makes them good or bad. It's what's already inside them that makes them good or bad. Jesus thereby, when he said that, he thereby, in, in Mark chapter 10, he thereby, Mark chapter 7, excuse me, Mark chapter 7, he thereby ended the food laws, okay? Now, here's the third way. So, he, Jesus fulfilled them by, by prophecies, by completing some of them, and then Jesus obeyed all of the laws perfectly. Jesus never sinned. He never violated one of the commandments. Never, he never dishonored his mother and father. He never uh, was harsh. He uh, always loved his neighbors himself. He always uh, only had God before him, uh, God his father before him. Uh, he never lied. He always told the truth. Jesus absolutely, completely, like no one else has ever even come close, he obeyed all of the laws of the Old Testament, 613, just in the first five books of the Bible. Now, I almost forgot to tell you, so here's Jesus' Bible, the first five books are 613, and the New Testament adds a few more commandments. 
1,050. You thought the Old Testament was tough? If you count them up, if you're into counting, some of them are repeated. But in the New Testament, there's 1,050 commands. So those of you who say, well, we're getting rid of the Old Testament. I'm just done with that stuff. No, you're not done with it. But if you did say that, then you only have uh, uh, 1,050 commands in the New Testament to obey. I'm just, I'm just a New Testament Christian. What? There is no such thing as a New Testament Christian, Christian right? It's the, this is the Bible. And, and Jesus has made a very definitive statement, don't think I've come to abolish the Bible the law and the prophets and everything else he says. And then Jesus says this and just has to knock you upside the head and me upside the head with a two by four. Verse 20, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. I bet he said that with a wink. I'm just joking, guys. No, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not even get a back, 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 back row in heaven. Now, think about who the Pharisees were. I mean, these were the guys, these were the, the Bible wonks of their day, weren't they? I mean, you ask one of these guys a question about the Bible, and like 35 minutes later, they're still talking, and you have no idea what they're talking about, right? These are the guys who are like the rocket scientists of the Bible. So like if you were wanting to build a house, and you mentioned that uh, over dinner with the Pharisee, he would say, what kind of railing are you going to have? You say, what kind of railing are we going to have on my roof? Yeah, yeah. If you don't have a railing on your roof, and if someone falls off, you are guilty of manslaughter. Says it right here. Deuteronomy 22.8. See, they were, they were these, Bible, these rocket saints of the Bible. And, 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 and the Pharisee says, hey, what are we having for dinner? And you say, uh, we're having owl. He says, you're having owl for dinner tonight. Yeah, we smoked it. It's really good. He says, you, you can't eat owl. I didn't know I couldn't eat owl. Yeah. Leviticus 11 says, don't eat owl. Don't eat a horned owl, a screeched owl, a little owl, a great owl, a white owl, a desert owl. Don't eat them. I'm glad we're serving up Chula Vista owl tonight. It's a little bit better. And now, and now, by the way, the Pharisees and God are pretty upset with some of you here this morning. Really upset. Because I've noticed that some of you have genes <laughs> that are ripped. Okay, we're going to have all of you that have ripped pants to come on up here right now. Okay, we'll just show your pictures. We took your pictures coming in here, so let's see those. Because, you know, that's the Vogue thing, I guess. And I guess I'm not Vogue, obviously, right? Um, that, that's, the, that's the end thing to do. But the Bible tells us, the Pharisees would explain to us, in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 6, which all of you are familiar with, don't tear your clothes. So you're in violation of God's rules and God's regulations, these professional rule keepers. And so what does Jesus say you, in verse 20? I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So let's think about Jesus, the Bible, and us. So what do we do with this 613, 1,050? Uh, what do we do with Jesus and his grace and all of these rules? Well, I think we have a tendency 
to drive on one side of the road or the other side of the road, down in the ditch, and we have a tendency to fall down into the ditch instead of driving down the middle of the road. I think, let's, let's take this half, the left-hand half. Your tendency is to do more and try harder. So you get all these rules and these regulations, and your response is to, we'll go ahead and put that up on the screen here now. There we go. Do more and try harder. And, and this is just what, this is legalism, right? It's I'm going to make lists. I'm going to make New Year's resolutions. I'm going I'm to grit my teeth. I'm going to work harder so that I can keep all of these rules and these regulations in, in the Scriptures. Uh, Martin Luther, I just uh, finished a, a biography about Martin Luther on the, his 500th anniversary. And Luther, before he was a Christian, he was a monk in the church. And Luther was a do more, try harder kind of a guy before he became a Christian. He, he knew that he, he was sinful. He knew that he wasn't living up to God's law. So what he tried to do is do more, do more, do more, do more, try harder, try harder, try harder. So he'd go to confession every day. And he would go into the confession booth, and there would be a priest that would then go on the other side. And when they saw Luther coming, they would run. Because Luther would go into the confessional sometimes, many times, for six or seven hours confessing his sins. I'm a sinner, but I don't think I could come up with six or seven hours of sin, right? He would do this repeatedly day after day after day. He would wear the confessors out. They would trade places, and he didn't even know it. They would complete war and peace while he was, while he was making his confessions in there. And, 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 and he... Um, uh, when he, when he couldn't think of any more sins to confess, he would beat himself up because he couldn't think of any more sins to confess, that that was a sin. So I confess to you that, that, that I can't even think of all of my sins. I'm such a wicked sinner. And then he met Jesus Christ. He said he didn't just keep ch trying to check off boxes. He got away from the legalism, and that's all this is, is do more, try harder, is just out-and-out out legalism. That's what, that's what you guys do, okay? That's your side. That's how we respond to Jesus and the law. But the other side, uh, you guys do something that's just as bad. This side of the congregation over here, you just go chill out. <laughs> you like this kind of preaching, huh, John? Just chill out, right? Yeah, just, hey, th there's no way we can do that, right? We can't keep all those. You guys are, you guys are so uptight. You guys, this is just... Um, um, this is just license. It, it, it's, we'll go ahead and put the next slide up there. Uh, this is just license. Just chill out and, and uh, just let the grace flow. Catherine, just let the grace flow. You're just so uptight about all these laws and rules and regulations and the torn jeans and stuff too, you know. You know just chill out. And these guys are going like, Danae, didn't you see these rules and regulations? And we just kind of, and, and a lot of times we go back and forth on this road ourselves, right? It's not just one group of people, it's been the other group of people. And this group of people is like, you know, the Bible says that where, where there's sin, then there's more opportunity for grace. Hey, I got a good idea. I'll sin more so there might be more grace, right? The, the, you guys love that French philosopher he's, who said, um, it's God's job to forgive. Yeah, that's what it is. So I just want to keep him employed. 
I just want to keep God busy. And, and Paul says in Romans chapter 6, he, he, he says this, What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means, by no means. So it's not, it's not by trying harder or chilling out. What Jesus is talking about in verse 19 is a righteousness, about a radical righteousness and obedience to the Bible that is not wider than the Pharisees, because that's what the Pharisees specialized in, was widening the rules and regulations. But they were only this deep. But he was talking about raising the regulations, the commands of the Bible higher and deeper. And what Jesus knew was that what the Pharisees were doing was they were polishing the outside of the cup, but on the inside they were full of poison and cancer and death. And what Jesus said these commandments are really all about are changing the inside of a person because when the inside of a person gets changed, then the outside of the person gets changed. But if you try to do it from the outside, it seldom goes in. When you just do it for performance or for show, Jesus says, boy, it just doesn't get there. So what he wants is a deeper obedience to the law. Now, let's practice this because this is what the gospel does is the gospel helps us in this tension between God's clear commands that have not been abolished, our inability to do them, but Christ living inside of us. So let's, and you're going to do this in your growth group. You're going to do this in your growth group. So w- w- what we want to do is talk about the gospel, and we're going to talk about God's command. So here's a little bit of a grid. So here's, here's God's command. Uh, let, go Back one. There we go. Here's God's command. Let's think of one of God's commands. Uh, Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate, forgiving one another, just as Christ and God in Christ has forgiven you. So, here's a, so what's the command? What's the command? Forgive one another, right? It, repeat it through the Bible, not just once. So it's pretty clear. So God's command, what we're doing is we're practicing the gospel. So here you've got this command. Forgive one another. So somebody uh, at work, somebody at home, somebody at church has harmed you. It's, it's grievous. It's, it's hard. You're struggling with it. But God's command is to forgive them. Now, let's look at the, the gospel, the enlarging the heart here. We use this diagram many times. So the, the, the top uh, arrow up there, the top line, is, God, is God's holiness. And God has, makes holy commands. Now, what we could do is we could lower that. We could try to lower God's command and say, well, did God really say? We could play the pick and choose game, right? Well, did God really say or did God really mean? Did God really mean I'm supposed to forgive everybody? Am I really supposed to forgive that person who harmed me so, so in such a mean way? They were so blatant. Am I supposed to, or am I just supposed to forgive people that, that I like? You know, am I, that's hard sometimes too, right? But he's taking it to a whole new level. And, and I go, yeah, there's that other scripture in the Sermon on the Mount that we're to love our enemies. Ay, ay, ay. And, and what our tendency is to do is to lower the demand of God, which makes the cross smaller, right? That, that's what happens. It makes the need, our need of Christ smaller because we can solve some of the smaller commands, but when the command is higher and deeper, forgive your enemy... Oh, that's a high command. So we have to understand God's command. So whenever we come to a command, let's understand it. And here's the second thing we need to do. 
we need to realize I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I, I, I've tried uh, legalism. I've tried doing more and trying and try harder. I've tried chilling out. It does, neither of those two things work. And what I have to confess is that I'm not good enough. I can't forgive people. I, I think that I do, and then those feelings just come back up hot as they used to be. Now, this is a whole sermon series we've done. it. You can look back in our archives. But uh, forgiving is not the same as forgetting. When someone hurts you deeply, you will probably never forget. But what will happen as you forgive them is the remembering. You will probably, for a long time, maybe for the rest of your life, always remember the hurt, but you'll begin to remember it in a different way. And there won't be the rush of emotions. You know that person that hurts you, uh, and, and a week later you're thinking about it? You feel what you felt when you were in that conversation with them. And as we forgive people, that diminishes. But we don't forget. But we all struggle with this, just these emotions, and, and we feel just as upset six months later or uh, three months later or a year later, and we realize that we really haven't forgiven them, that we, in fact, we, we don't want to forgive them. I want to hold on to that because I got it over them. And man, if they just step out of line one way, I'm going to remind them of that. I'm pretty good at this, by the way. God's command, forgive your enemies. I'm not good enough. And, and, and we just have to confess that. And let's take a look at the, at the cross diagram again. You see, it's a growing awareness of my own sinfulness. And the higher God's command is, and the more I'm aware of my sinfulness, the more my need for Jesus Christ, the bigger the cross gets, right? And my need for Jesus. And that takes us then to, this, the, the, to, the, to the next step. Um, Jesus obeyed this command perfectly. And I think anytime there's a command in Scripture, I think you can find somewhere where Jesus implicitly or explicitly or in principle or in actuality, he obeyed that command perfectly. Now, sometimes you can't find a scripture in a verse, but you find the idea and you realize that Jesus obeyed this command perfectly. So, Jesus commanded us to forgive our enemies. I can't. I don't want to sometimes. It's, I've tried. It's really, really hard. But can I think of an example where Jesus forgave his enemies? Oh, how about the cross? Did you have my notes down there, by the way, Jan? You do. You got the Bible. Um, so he's on the cross, and these guys are stabbing him in the side, nailed his hands and feet, and dropped him in. And what does he pray? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Talk about loving your enemies. Now, here's the cool thing, right? Who lives inside of me? That's the step, step D. Jesus lives in me. And so while I, it's impossible for me to keep the command, the one who has already kept the command through his Holy Spirit is living inside of me and empowering me to do what I can't do and what I don't do. And he's taking and making the law no longer a duty that I can't keep, but a privilege and a joy that Jesus can keep through me. See, it's leaning on him. And saying, Jesus, it's you that I need. You who have kept the law perfectly and now live inside of me. So an old hymn, 
to see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice transforms a slave into a child and duty into choice. Jesus, we thank you that you have done what we could have not and never did and never will to obey the law perfectly. But Jesus, you did. And now you live inside of us. Your Holy Spirit brings you to live inside of us. And so now we have new power that's not ours. We have new desire that's not ours. That it's possible because you have done what for us was impossible. You have kept all of the commandments to empower and enable us to keep them by your power. And so, Jesus, I pray that I, and I pray for my brothers and sisters, would not fall off one side of the road or the other, to just trying harder and doing more, or just chilling out and letting your grace flow. But instead, Jesus, we would abide in you and you would abide in us that you would do what you already have done, obey the law perfectly, do that in me, and do that in us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.